If you have your scriptures open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I always begin my message with this verse. This is my life verse. I, I, I just, I can't, the one time I, I started a message without sharing this verse, it was the worst message of my life. So uh, I better share it or else y'all will be ready to go home. And by the way, uh, there is no Sunday school this uh, second hour. I think uh, Brother Joe shared that with you. I'm excited. That means we have an extra hour of preaching. But don't worry. Today, you know, usually I come in and I have, you know, four or five scriptures and we're going to dissect those four or five scriptures. Today, we only have one scripture to dissect. One. But I gave them about 50 verses to go along with that scripture. So y'all hang in there. First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5 and I'm reading now the NASB. I know on the, on the screen you're going to see the New King James. It says, And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and the power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of man, but on the power of God. Today, if I do not become a vessel and let God speak, we've missed it. Today, as you come in this place, the Holy Spirit is here. You know how I know? Because He lives in the lives of those who believe. And so as you come in this place, the, the, the Holy Spirit is overwhelmingly in this place. And I pray that today, those that believe in Christ will grow and be sanctified, discipled and trained. And those who don't know Christ as their Lord and Savior, my prayer is, is that you hear the voice of God and that today is the day of salvation. Let us pray as we get started. Lord, we thank you for this day. And Lord, I do cry out that you will simply empty me and allow me to sit on the front row today and hear your words. Lord, we love you. We praise you. And I ask that if there's any distractions in this place, that it'll be removed by the power of the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you and praise you for it's in your name. Amen. So this week, uh, I had the opportunity to go uh, to Cincinnati, Ohio, that area, Indiana. Uh, it's like a three-state area. Leslie's family lives up there. And while I was there, I got to attend different church services. And, and I always go to church whenever I get an opportunity away from here, only because when I'm here, we're serving and, and we're working. And, and we're, we're, it's, it's very difficult sometimes just to sit down on a Sunday morning. Anybody that's a pastor understands that and gets that. And so as I was at church, I went and uh, as I was up there, I went and had the opportunity. I would drive and I would see all these Christmas lights and I would see things in the yard and all this stuff. And every now and then I would see the word joy. And joy was, you know, a lot of people have joy with the circle and in the circle or the, yeah, the circle. Inside the circle, there would be a manger scene. Y'all seen that before, right? A lot of y'all might have that on your uh, Christmas tree as an ornament. I saw the word joy all over the place. Even an ornament, a Disney ornament that had nothing to do with Jesus, said box of joy. And so you open it up and you get Sophia the first. But anyways, you see joy all over this time. And so I went to church on Sunday morning to a small church, about 100 people there. And I walked in there and the pastor was anointed. Man of God, sharing the truth. And I looked around and I looked at Leslie and I said, Leslie, there is a lack of joy in this place. People are just sitting there and the pastor is just sharing the truth of the gospel. I mean, just an incredible, passionate. He had had a, a, a word from the Lord and the people just sat there as if they were just doing something they were supposed to do. On Christmas Eve, I went to a church service for Christmas Eve service. 
And I felt the same thing. People just standing there kind of like this. And, you know, the pastor talking about the birth of Jesus. And I was like, my goodness, like, like, think about this for just a second. As we get started today, I haven't even gotten to the verse. As we start today, think about this one thing. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if Christ has entered your life, that means that you have been transformed from death to life. Let me say it again. You've been transformed from death to life. There's an incredible preacher. Uh, I think he's out in Texas. Uh, and um, I'm, his name just went to a blank. Tony Evans. Y'all know Tony Evans. Everybody's heard Tony Evans. If you, uh, I, I got really excited listening to his message the other day. And I shared it with everybody in the office. And if you would have walked in, you thought people were screaming. Because, I mean, he was, he was going at it just uh, incredible. And he made this comment. He said, when people experience Jesus Christ, you don't have to tell them to say amen. And you don't have to tell them to raise their hands. You don't have to tell them to get excited. Because when they've experienced Jesus Christ, people worship the King. Your life has been changed. There's joy in your heart. And we get excited about that. And I'm not here trying to create an emotion. I'm not here trying to... Some of y'all are nervous. I'm going to fall off. I see it in your faces. I'm not here trying to get you to the point of saying, yes, you know, we're not trying to be cheerleaders. I'm just saying when you realize that your life was destined for hell, your life had no way of redeeming yourself You were unholy according to the law, but yet Jesus Christ came. He died a perfect death. He lives in our hearts. We've been transformed. There's joy in the house of God today. Amen? All right, let's get started. As I went to these church services and as I sat there and I listened and I looked around and I saw the lack of joy, God continually put Psalms 51 on my heart. And in Psalms 51, it's the story of David. David, just an inc- I love the story of David. I don't know if it's because my name's David, but I, I, I love the story of David. A man who Samuel, which is a great name as well, uh, Samuel comes and he says, it's this guy, and, and God says no. And he says, no, it's this guy, and God says no. And, and he gets to the point where he says, well, do you have any other sons? And Jesse says, yeah, I have one in the, she- in the field shepherding the flock. And he says, bring him in. And he looks at him and says, God does not look on the outward appearance. He looks on the heart. This is the next king of Israel. David had a, key, had a heart after God. He sought God. He was humble, humility, loved God. And then we see the story of Bathsheba. You all know the story. We don't have to go into it. He becomes an adulterous murderer who's continually trying to cover up his sin. Nathan goes to him and says, hey, you might not be telling people, but I know what's going on. And David pins Psalm 51 out of literally just the brokenness of his heart. I love Psalm 51. Anytime I've fallen short of the glory of God, I run to Psalm 51 and I weep. The pages of my Bible have tear stains from weeping over Psalms 51. And the Lord took me to Psalms 51 verse 12. Restore to me... The joy of your salvation. Uphold me with your generous spirit. Now, I want to focus in on joy of your salvation. Like, I want to just dissect that one 
little piece in Psalms 51 and the word restore. Obviously, the joy of his salvation had been stolen. Because he's crying out to God to restore what he once knew. What he once understood. And so as we really dissect this, let's go into the idea of joy. And because it's the Christmas season, let's open up to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And I have all my scriptures. Y'all don't worry. I'll go slow today, I promise. Luke chapter 2, 9 through 14. And I'm going to read on the screen simply because my Bible is a different translation. So go on to verse 9 for me. It says, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Let's stop there for a second. The angel says, do not be afraid, but I bring you great news. I bring you joy. There's a Savior that's born in Bethlehem. He's talking to the shepherds. Now, can you imagine? They were afraid, and all of a sudden, the angel says, hey, the Savior of the Lord, I mean, of the world, is coming. He's here. He's been born in Bethlehem. And that is joyous. Now, why are they joyful? The reason they are to be joyful at Jesus' coming is because the Messiah, the long-awaited one, from Genesis chapter 3 all the way through, earlier they asked me if I had any more verses. I told them just be prepared from Genesis to Revelation. In Genesis chapter 3, we see the fall of man. And from that point all the way, we see the thread that says a Messiah, the Savior, is coming. We know according to Philippians chapter 2 that that Messiah is Jesus Christ. It says Jesus was... Uh, let's go on and see Philippians 2 and let's read it together. I'm skipping Matthew. I'll come back to it. In Philippians chapter 2, Let this mind uh, be in you which is also in Christ Jesus, who... Being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to equal with God. But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man. We can stop there in Philippians 2. And you can go on and prepare Matthew. We see in Philippians 2 that that salvation is Jesus coming down as a child. The angels say, joy, salvation is here. Now, we see, as I said in Philippians 2, we see that that is Jesus stepping down, coming down as a child, as an infant. In Matthew chapter 2, 10 through 12, when they saw the star, who saw the star? The wise men, the magi, and, and as I shared last Christmas, this is a few years later, so on your nativity scene, take your wise men to the other side of the room, they're still on the journey, Right? I told y'all last Christmas, mouth of babes, my daughter walked over as a one and a half year old, grabbed the wise men and threw it. And I was like, she's a theologian. But then she took Mickey Mouse and put it in there and I was like, okay, we got a problem. Matthew 2.10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great 
And why? Where were they going? Let's go to verse 11. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child and Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. They were headed to the Savior of the world. We celebrated on December 25th, Christmas. Christmas is joy being born to us. Think about that. Christmas is joy being born to us. They traveled, and when they saw the star, they became joyful because they realized that they are almost to the point of where they're going to see the Savior. People ask me all the time, who were the wise men? I personally believe that they were people who came to Christ, understood, or or came to uh, an understanding of the gospel uh, from the group of Daniel and them who came over. And it was, whether you call it a remnant of people left, they obviously had to be wise, trained, studied people for them to understand that the star had shone above. Because it says Herod did not recognize the star. So it was not some massive explosion, awesome thing in the sky because if it was that Herod would have seen it right it had to be something that they studied and understood and because they studied and understood the star they rejoiced with joy because they knew that they were about to see the savior December 25th we rejoice we celebrate that joy has been born to us now I want you to flip open to John 3 3 many of you know this scripture by heart And I want to show you that joy is now birthed in us. See, joy was birthed to us. But in John 3, 3, we see joy being birthed in us. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. You must be born again. Romans 5, 2 says, rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Rejoice in the hope through whom also we have access by faith into the grace which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, I got to talk to you all about hope for a second. All right. Not somebody, you know, named hope, hope. All right. Let's talk about it for that just a second. And I don't think I gave you this verse, so you don't have to flip over there. But in Titus chapter 1, verse 2, I believe it is. Yes, verse 2. I'm going to read it to you. The word hope was there, and I struggled with it by the way that it was written in my scripture. And so I just, about five years ago, I started praying and praying and praying. Lord, explain this to me. In Titus chapter 1, verse 2, it says, oh, you have it, awesome. In the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. When I read that, I said, God, I don't want to have hope in eternal life. I want to know that I know that I know. The word hope to me seems like something I'm hoping for. I mean, I hoped to get a new suit for Christmas, and obviously I didn't get it, right? My daughter hoped for a lot. She wanted, she hoped for a pink Christmas. It's a pink Christmas. That's what she hoped for. She obviously didn't get it. We got a rainy Christmas. But I struggle with that word. So me and loving the Greek and the Hebrew, I run back to the Greek and I study the word hope. And let me tell you what the word hope means in the Greek. It means to know for sure. Certainty. (laughs) Let's read that again. In certainty of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised a long time ago. 
promise before time began. Incertainty. Does that not change things a little bit in your mind? Incertainty. Listen, the reason that joy is birthed in us at the point of salvation is because we have certainty that no matter what we go through in life, no matter what persecution, trials, tribulations, struggles, no matter what happens to us in life, We have certainty in eternal life with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? Joy is birthed in us through salvation. Now you say, David, I know people who who seem joyous and they don't know Christ as their Lord and Savior. I have a hard time saying that a non-believer has joy. They might have happiness, but they can't have joy. And let me explain to you why. First off, the Greek translation for joy means cheerful, delight. The Webster's definition, Webster's Dictionary's definition, that's a tongue twister, definition of joy is a feeling of happiness. Now, you say, well, that's okay. That doesn't explain to me why a non-believer can't have joy. I'm going to explain it. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, we see the fruit of of the Spirit. Now, I, uh, I don't know the right word. I'm not good with English, but let's focus on fruit with no S. There's not multiple fruits of the Spirit. There's one fruit. And in Galatians chapter 5.22, it says, The fruit of the Spirit is love. Y'all are getting good at this. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. You don't have to go any farther. Let's focus on the word joy there. Here's my thing. You cannot have the fruit of the Spirit in your life if you do not have the Spirit dwelling inside of you. Hear that one more time. You cannot have the fruit of the Spirit coming forth from your life unless the Spirit lives inside of you. You want to know how I know? It's because it's a fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't say the fruit of the flesh. We can go back a few verses and we can figure out what the fruit of the flesh is. It says the fruit of the Spirit is joy. So the only way you can experience joy, true joy, not happiness, true joy, is to be filled by the Spirit. Is to have Christ dwelling in you. To have joy birthed in you through salvation. But here's the problem to all this. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so we have joy. Man, I might even, just just the thought of, I was destined for hell, a sinner. Nothing but rags. I was worthless. I had nothing to give. And God loved me so much that he gave his son to die on a cross, to be beaten and betrayed, that I may live. That gives me unbelievable joy. Joy that surpasses all understanding. It gives me, just I just want to shout. Sorry, some of y'all are saying you already are. I I just want to shout. I mean, that should get us so excited that when we're walking in the streets of Mobile, people should say, whoa, something is different about them. And you can say, I got joy. Or you could say, I got joy, joy, joy down in my heart, right? The old song. Listen, it should be so prevalent all over you that you never have to say a word and people realize there's a difference between happiness and joy and it's the fact that Jesus Christ has saved your life. 
but the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Listen, because I just said that you have to be a believer to experience true joy, to have joy coming forth from your life, then you could easily say, well, David, I have a question. Does that mean that every person that you went and saw at that church the other day, does that mean that they were all non-believers? That's incorrect. Some of them there were believers in Christ. The problem is, is that until we keep our focus on Jesus Christ, until we yield to the Holy Spirit, it says that you shall be filled by the Holy Spirit. Not be drunk with wine, but be filled by the Spirit. The word fill there in the Greek is a continual daily filling. The word says to pick up your cross. How often? Daily and follow after him. Here's the problem and here's where we get things all mixed up. Yes, we have joy. Yes, God saved us. But then life gets in the way. Next thing you know, you're going through trials and tribulations. You're going through struggles. You're going through hurts. The waves all around you are too big for you to to comprehend. And you begin to look at the waves of life instead of the creator of the world. You begin to focus in on all the struggles and hurts and pains. And listen, if you're sitting here today and you're saying, David, I know Jesus is my Lord and Savior, but I am struggling to have joy in my life. The reason is because you've allowed the warfare and the pains of this world to settle in your heart. The scriptures say, and I love this, I believe it's in Romans, I'm sorry, I, I, um, I've got some friends in here that could real quickly tell me, uh, but the scriptures say, that Jesus, in his death, rendered Satan powerless. Here's the thing. If he rendered Satan powerless, then he has no power. Powerless equals no power, right? No authority equals no authority. But the reason we lose and our joy is stolen is because we give something that has no power and no authority in our life. We give him authority. We give him a foothold. You say, David, it's just, it's just too hard. It's just way too big. You just don't understand the struggles that I'm facing. No, I don't, but God does. You forget that 2,000 years ago, he watched his son on a cross bearing the sins of the world. And people say, well, he turned his back because the sins of the world and it was just too much for him to bear. I think it goes further than that. I think God could not look at the wrath of God being placed on the son of Jesus Christ. He bore the wrath. You say, David, it's just too hard. These trials, these tribulations, I might not understand, but God sure does. He's the one that gives you the joy, not me. If I gave you joy, it'd be happiness and it'd be terrible. And so let's flip open real quick. Y'all know these scriptures. You don't have to go there if you don't want, but James chapter 1 verse 2 says what? Count it all My brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, Jesus said, it says in Scripture that he counted it joy to endure what he had to go through. We see in Scripture many times about persecution in Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes. It talks about blessed are those who are persecuted. Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Let me read it to you. Matthew 5, 10 through 12 says this, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for their kingdom, for, their, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all things 
evil things against you from me. Rejoice and be glad. Rejoice. Whoa, Jesus, what are you, are you kidding me? I got to rejoice that people are insulting me. I got to rejoice that I've become a doormat to people to step on me. I got to rejoice that I'm going through the trials and tribulations. Yes, why? Because of the joy of your salvation. Because Jesus died that you could have life. And listen, it doesn't matter how big or strong the trials or persecution is. You have hope in eternal life. You have certainty in eternal life. And that brings you joy. That's why we rejoice in our trials. Because we realize that it's perfecting us. It's growing us. It's strengthening us. But hey, if we die through our trials, praise God for me to live as Christ, for me to die as gain, because I'm going to be standing before the throne of God because of the joy of my salvation, because of salvation, because of Jesus Christ. So our joy is stolen when our focus gets focused on the things of this world and woe is me and we become very selfish. Focused on ourself. And listen, I'm preaching to you something. I'm sitting down here saying, David, you got this? Telling myself, you got this? Because it's a lot easier preached than lived out, isn't it? The Christian life is impossible. It's yielding to the Holy Spirit is the only way. To live it out. I want to go to one more verse in 1 Peter 4.13. And this verse kind of, uh, I did this, when God took me to Psalms 51 verse 12 and it said, restore to me the joy of my salvation. I did an exhaustive study on joy and salvation. And let me tell you something, the Bible talks a lot about joy and a lot about salvation. So it took me quite a while to really study this, but I knew that the Holy Spirit was leading me to present this to you. And so I had to study to, to count myself approved here. And in 1 Peter 4.13, I was kind of taken back by this because when I looked into the Greek, the Greek for joy is all the same except for in this verse. I was like, okay, let's figure this out. What, what? And it says, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering. That when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. So, the word joy here is a little different. And some of you might not like this. The Greek word joy, in all the other scriptures, stands for cheerfulness, delight. But when it talks about the suffering... And it talks about Christ's suffering and you partaking in it. The word there actually means to leap and jump for joy. God says that when you get the privilege to suffer for my namesake, you leap and jump for joy. You know why I think part of it's in there like that? It's because others are seeing the joy on you in the midst of the suffering. Y'all remember the Roman soldier? What did he say? Surely this must be the Son of God. Others begin to see Christ in you in the midst of what they're doing to you. So you say, David, my joy's been stolen, man. I'm just sitting here. Hey, let me tell you another thing that will steal your joy. Religion and tradition. In Matthew chapter 5, it says that if your righteousness does not succeed that of the Pharisees and Sadducees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. I spoke on that two weeks ago here on a Wednesday, on a Tuesday night for Thanksgiving. And I shared with everybody about that. 
or on a Sunday night sometime that I spoke on it. Religion and tradition will steal your joy because you will only be doing something to fulfill your own self-worth. It's called happiness. It's not called joy. Now, I sat there and I prayed and I said, Lord, why are you giving me this this for Christmas? This time to share this with the congregation. You know, I had a lot of other things that I wanted to share. And the Lord kept taking me here, and here's why. In the season that we are to celebrate the birth of joy that eventually is birthed in our life, it's been stolen and replaced with materialism. It's been stolen and replaced with season's greetings or happy holidays, which, hey, happy holidays means holy days, right? It's been stolen in our society. And so the reason that the Lord wants me to preach this today is the only way they're going to see joy is through you. When society is saying, no, we're going to take all this and it's going to be a very secular thing. They can't take the joy from you. Satan was rendered powerless. He has no authority in your life. Quit giving it to him. Let's rejoice that God came down and saved us. Let's rejoice at the blood of the Lamb that cost Him His life. Gives us salvation. So here's what I want you to think about today. Over this past month, I don't know, my house has been four months. My daughter wanted to listen to Christmas music four months ago. But over the past month, you've had the Christmas season, the Christmas time. How many times have you rejoiced in your salvation? When we lose focus, we lose priorities. When we lose focus, we let the world step in. And maybe today we need to just simply get back rejoicing in the fact that God saved us. As we come in this place and as we leave this place, the joy of our salvation should be here for those who come in struggling with things that can be restored. Let's go all the way back as I close in Psalms 51. Restore in me the joy of my salvation. David's salvation, the joy of his salvation, had been stolen because of sin in his life. And let me tell you something. Any time that you lose focus on the King of kings and Lord of lords, any time you quit yielding yourself to the the Holy Spirit and walking in Him and, and, and seeking out the fruit of the Spirit, then guess what? The fruit of flesh is coming forth. It's called disobedience. See, obedience is walking in the spirit. Disobedience is walking in the flesh. And so anytime you lose focus on that, it's called disobedience. And disobedience is sin. And so when we look at Psalms 51, as he repents and cries out, he says, sin has stolen my joy. Sin has stolen my joy. And so he cries out to God, restore in me. The joy of my salvation. I want to take just a few minutes and uh, Denise, if you could come up. I know that we are going to have a, a, an altar call here in just a few minutes. Oh, she's already here. But I want to take just a minute. I want you to just reflect. 
And then I want to read one verse after I give you just a moment of reflecting. But I want you to reflect and say, God, has my joy been stolen? And if so, restore in me the joy of my salvation. The joy of your salvation is what it actually says in the New King James. Your salvation. It's him that does it. If it's been stolen by trials and tribulations, we count it joy. It's easy to count joy when we get to the end of the tribulation, but God tells us in the midst of it, because that's when trust and faith comes out, that you're trusting him in the midst of it all. Look, we celebrate Christmas, joy being born to us. We celebrate our salvation, joy being born in us.